Section 30 of The Theory of Moral Sentiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer W. The Theory of Moral Sentiments by Adam Smith. Part 6, Section 3 of Self-Command. Men of merit considerably above the common level sometimes underrate as well as overrate themselves. Such characters, though not very dignified, are often in private society, far from being disagreeable. His companions all feel themselves much at their ease in the society of a man so perfectly modest and unassuming. If those companions, however, have not both more discernment and more generosity than ordinary, though they may have some kindness for him, they seldom have much respect, and in the warmth of their kindness is very seldom sufficient to compensate the coldness of their respect. Men of no more than ordinary discernment never rate any person higher than he appears to rate himself. He seems doubtful himself, they say, whether he is perfectly fit for such a situation or such an office, and immediately give the preference to some imprudent blockhead who entertains no doubt about his own qualifications. Though they should have discernment, yet, if they want generosity, they never fail to take advantage of his simplicity, and to assume over him an impertinent superiority which they are by no means entitled to. His good nature may enable him to bear this for some time, but he grows weary at last, and frequently when it is too late, and when that rank, which he ought to have assumed, is lost irrevocably and usurped, in consequence of his own backwardness, by some of his more forward, though much less meritous, companions. A man of this character must have been very fortunate in the early choice of his companions, if, in going through the world, he meets always with fair justice, even from those whom, from his own past kindness, he might have some reason to consider as his best friends. And a youth, too unassuming and too unambitious, is frequently followed by an insignificant, complaining, and discontented old age. Those unfortunate persons whom nature has formed a good deal below the common level seem sometimes to rate themselves still more below it than they really are. This humility appears sometimes to sink them into idiotism. Whoever has taken the trouble to examine idiots with attention will find that, in many of them, the faculties of the understanding are by no means weaker than in several other people, who, though acknowledged to be dull and stupid, are not by anybody accounted idiots. Many idiots, with no more than ordinary education, have been taught to read, write, and account tolerably well. Many persons, never accounted idiots, notwithstanding the most careful education, and notwithstanding that, in their advanced age, they have had spirit enough to attempt to learn what their early education had not taught them, have never been able to acquire, in any tolerable degree, any one of those three accomplishments. By an instinct of pride, however, they set themselves upon a level with their equals in age and situation and, with courage and firmness, maintain their proper station among their companions. By an opposite instinct, the idiot feels himself below every company into which you can introduce him. Ill-usage, to which he is extremely liable, is capable of throwing him into the most violent fits of rage and fury. But no good usage, no kindness or indulgence, can ever raise him to converse with you as your equal.
If you can bring him to converse with you at all, however, you will frequently find his answers sufficiently pertinent and even sensible. They are always stamped with a distinct consciousness of his own great inferiority. He seems to shrink and, as it were, to retire from your look and conversation, and to feel, when he places himself in your situation, that, notwithstanding your apparent condescension, you cannot help considering him as immensely below you. Some idiots, perhaps the greater part, seem to be so chiefly or together from a certain numbness or torpidity in the faculties of the understanding. But there are others in whom those faculties do not appear more torpid or benumbed than in many other people who are not accounted idiots. But that instinct of pride, necessary to support them upon an equality with their brethren, seems totally wanting in the former and not in the latter. That degree of self-estimation, therefore, which contributes most to the happiness and contentment of the person himself, seems likewise most agreeable to the impartial spectator. The man who esteems himself as he ought, and no more than he ought, seldom fails to obtain from other people all the esteem that he himself thinks due. He desires no more than is due to him, and he rests upon it with complete satisfaction. The proud and the vain man, on the contrary, are constantly dissatisfied. The one is tormented with indignation at the unjust superiority, as he thinks of it, of other people. The other is in continual dread of the shame which, he foresees, would attend upon the detection of his groundless pretensions. Even the extravagant pretensions of the man of real magnanimity, though, when supported by splendid abilities and virtues, and, above all, by good fortune, they impose upon the multitude, whose applauses he little regards, do not impose upon those wise men whose approbation he can only value, and whose esteem he is most anxious to acquire. He feels that they see through, and suspects that they despise his excessive presumption, and he often suffers the cruel misfortune of becoming first the jealous and secret, and at last the open, furious, and vindictive enemy of those very persons whose friendship it would have given him the greatest happiness to enjoy with unsuspicious security. Though our dislike of the proud and vain often disposes us to rank them rather below than above their proper station, Yet, unless we are provoked by some particular and personal impertinence, we very seldom venture to use them ill. In common cases, we endeavor, for our own ease, rather to acquiesce, and, as well as we can, to accommodate ourselves to their folly. But to the man who underrates himself, unless we have both more discernment and more generosity than belong to the greater part of men, we seldom fail to do, at least, all the injustice which he does to himself, and frequently a great deal more. He is not only more unhappy in his own feelings than either the proud or the vain, but he is much more liable to every sort of ill usage from other people. In almost all cases, it is better to be a little too proud than in any respect too humble, and in the sentiment of self-estimation, some degree of excess seems, both to the person and to the impartial spectator, to be less disagreeable than any degree of defect. In this, therefore, as well as in every other emotion, passion, and habit, 
the degree that is most agreeable to the impartial spectator is likewise most agreeable to the person himself and according as either the excess or the defect is least offensive to the former so either with the one or the other is in proportion at least disagreeable to the latter concern for our own happiness recommends to us the virtue of prudence concern for that of other people the virtues of justice and beneficence of which the one restrains us from hurting the other prompts us to promote that happiness independent of any regard either to what are or what ought to be or what upon a certain condition would be the sentiments of other people the first of those three virtues is originally recommended to us by our selfish the other two by our benevolent affections regard to the sentiments of other people however comes afterward both to enforce and to direct the practice of all those virtues and no man during either the whole of his life or that of any considerable part of it ever trots steadily and uniformly in the paths of prudence of justice or proper beneficence whose conduct was not principally directed by a regard to the sentiments of the supposed impartial spectator of the great inmate of the breast the great judge and arbiter of conduct if in the course of the day we have swerved in any respect from the rules which he prescribes to us if we have either exceeded or relaxed in our frugality if we have either exceeded or relaxed in our industry if through passion or inadvertency we have hurt in any respect the interest or happiness of our neighbor if we have neglected a plain and proper opportunity of promoting that interest and happiness it is this inmate who in the evening calls us to an account for all those omissions and violations and his reproaches often make us blush inwardly both for our folly and inattention to our own happiness and for our still greater indifference and inattention perhaps to that of other people but though the virtues of prudence justice and beneficence may upon different occasions be recommended to us almost equally by two different principles those of self-command are upon most occasions principally and almost entirely recommended to us by one by the sense of propriety by regard to the sentiments of the supposed impartial spectator without the restraint which this principle imposes every passion would upon most occasions rush headlong if i may say so to its own gratification anger would follow the suggestions of its own fury fear those of its own violent agitations regard to no time or place would induce vanity to refrain from the loudest and most impertinent ostentation or voluptuousness from the most open indecent and scandalous indulgence respect for what are or for what ought to be or for what upon a certain condition would be the sentiments of other people is the sole principle which in most occasions overawes all those munitious and turbulent passions into that tone and temper which the impartial spectator can enter into and sympathize with upon some occasions indeed those passions are restrained not so much by a sense of their impropriety as by prudential considerations of the bad consequences which might follow from their indulgence in such cases the passions though restrained are not always subdued but often remain lurking in the breast with all their original fury 
The man whose anger is restrained by fear does not always lay aside his anger, but only reserves its gratification for a more safe opportunity. But the man who, in relating to some other person the injury which has been done to him, feels at once the fury of his passion cooled and becalmed by sympathy with the more moderate sentiments of his companion, who at once adopts those more moderate sentiments, and comes to view that injury not in the black and atrocious colors which he had originally beheld it, but in the much milder and fairer light in which his companion naturally views it, not only restrains, but in some measure subdues his anger. The passion becomes really less than it was before, and is less capable of exciting him to the violent and bloody revenge which, at first, perhaps, he might have thought of inflicting. Those passions which are restrained by the sense of propriety are all in some degree moderated and subdued by it. But those which are restrained only by prudential considerations of any kind are, on the contrary, frequently inflamed by the restraint, and sometimes, long after the provocation given and when nobody is thinking about it, burst out absurdly and unexpectedly, and with tenfold fury and violence. Anger, however, as well as every other passion, may upon some occasions be very properly restrained by prudential considerations. Some exertion of manhood and self-command is even necessary for this sort of restraint, and the impartial spectator may sometimes view it with that sort of cold esteem due to that species of conduct which he considers as a mere matter of vulgar prudence, but never with that affectionate admiration which he surveys the same passions when, by the sense of propriety, they are moderated and subdued to what he himself can readily enter into. In the former species of restraint, he may frequently discern some degree of propriety, and, if he will, even a virtue. But it is a propriety and virtue of a much inferior order to those which he always feels with transport and admiration in the latter. The virtues of prudence, justice, and beneficence have no tendency to produce any but the most agreeable effects. Regard to those effects, as it originally recommends them to the actor, so does it afterwards to the impartial spectator. In our approbation of the character of the prudent man, we feel with peculiar complacency the security which he must enjoy while he walks under the safeguard of that sedate and deliberate virtue. In our approbation of the character of the just man, we feel with equal complacency the security which all those connected with him, whether in neighborhood, society, or business, must derive from his scrupulous anxiety, never either to hurt or to offend. In our approbation of the character of the beneficent man, we enter into the gratitude of all those who are within the sphere of his good offices, and conceive within the highest sense of his merit. In our approbation of all those virtues, our sense of the agreeable effects of their utility, either to the person who exercises them, or to some other persons, joins with our sense of their propriety and constitutes always a considerable, frequently the greater part, of that approbation. But in our approbation of the virtues of self-command, complacency with the effects sometimes constitutes no part, and frequently but a small part, of that approbation. Those effects may sometimes be agreeable and sometimes disagreeable, and though our approbation is no doubt stronger in the former case, it is by no means altogether destroyed in the latter. 
the most heroic valor may be employed indifferently in the cause either of justice or of injustice, and though it is no doubt much more loved and admired in the former case, it still appears a great and respectable quality even in the latter. In that, and in all the other virtues of self-command, the splendid and dazzling quality seems always to be the greatness and steadiness of their exertion, and the strong sense of propriety which is necessary in order to make and to maintain that exertion. The effects are too often, but too little, regarded. End of section 30